Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock. And I'm Megan Nam, And this is Vertical Insights. Okay, episode two. Megan, they let us back in. How are you feeling today? I am feeling great, and nobody let us back in. This is our room and our recording. So you've obviously missed the number of employees running through CA headquarters taking our uh, recording <laughs> equipment, trying to be maybe... I, I think we have a lot of aspiring DJs here or something that. like yeah. that. I don't know. They seem to be fascinated with the podcast equipment. We'll have to keep this locked up moving forward. So what do we have on the agenda here today, Rob? Probably something you're a little familiar with, but if we had to take a look, but it's October. So what have you really been dealing with the last, call it seven months? Hmm. Seven months. Let's see. I would say student has probably been the biggest um, consumer of my time in charge of uh, corporate communications and investor relations just because of how much uncertainty there's been. Tons of uncertainty. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, questions internally, questions externally, news outlets everywhere. You're really tied into it. It's just something that we thought we had to get out here, let people know what's going on. And, you know, luckily we were able to grab some of Michael Hales's time. Michael, the president of CA Student Living last week. What were your thoughts? Are you excited for this, to release this to the world? I am excited. I think there's a lot of misconceptions, which we'll definitely get into about what's been going on in the student housing space. And I think Michael spoke to those pretty comprehensively in terms of what are the headlines saying versus what did we experience and what are we experiencing and what are what do we expect to see over the coming months? And so I think it's a great insight into uh, our student platform and the industry in general through the eyes of one Michael Hales. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think with that, why don't we take our listeners straight to the interview? And for our next guest, we have with us Michael Hales. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on the show. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit about your background and how you came to CA? It's funny to think about this, but I've now been at CA for four years. Uh, it seems like a lot longer than that, given the track record and everything we have going on at CA. Uh, but I joined CA in 2016. My background prior to CA is actually a little bit more non-traditional compared to most folks in real estate. I graduated from Finance University of Illinois, uh, went to work in the consumer products industry at William Wrigley Jr. Gum Company here in Chicago, and then got my MBA from Harvard Business School and went to work for a consulting firm, Bain & Company. Uh, I did that for eight years, nine years, never actually thought I would leave the consulting industry. Uh, it was a great opportunity. In that position, you get to work with a number of companies of all different scales, size, different dimensions on what they're working on. Uh, and in that position, I learned how to dissect a company, figure out what strategy should be, how to grow. And then when the time came and I got a call from CA, it was like a lightning bolt. You know, I had seen CA for a number of years and been following what they've been doing in the Chicago market. Uh, and really all over the country. 
So I'd been following CA for a number of years. I know a lot of the guys that helped to start this from as early as back in 2007. And being an Illinois alumni, uh, when they first put up that property at the University of Illinois, you could tell immediately that that was going to change the face of student housing. Um, so while I was going through my career at Bain and following along what was going on at CA, uh, when the opportunity arose to, to come join, it was a, a no-brainer. Uh, and it was something that I'd really been looking forward to doing. If I were ever going to leave Bain, it would be for an opportunity like this. Now, when I joined CA, I actually joined as the CFO for the student living and residential uh, asset classes. A great entry point for me allowed me to see and learn exactly how uh, CA was doing its business, get behind the numbers, and see how to make a difference of where we're going. Uh, and working with Tom Scott, really, in those early days, it was all about, you know, we have a great platform. We have a tremendous track record and we have fantastic partners and really we are looking to grow. And the key thing that he challenged me to help with is to say, how can we get from where we are today to where we want to be five years from now, uh, both from a balance sheet perspective, a real estate asset perspective, a relationship perspective. And that's what we set out to do. I'm happy to say four years later now, I've had a tremendous ride at CA and I think we're really just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, so from CFO of Student Living and Residential, I, I went to be CFO of CA Ventures, then Chief Operating Officer, and I'm now happy to be running the Student Living platform as president. So as a friend of the firm since 2006, 2007, um, you've obviously been watching CA's growth over time and, and has probably been really interesting perspective for you to sit in all these different seats. Um, now being the head of student, what are you, where do you see this, um, the biggest changes over time and how has this platform really evolved? I think the changes come in twofold. One is what's happening in the market more broadly. And the second is how is CA reacting and where are we going forward in that market? So I think let's start with the market. CA was one of the initial uh, movers into the student housing space. If you think back to 2007, uh, when we first acquired an dirt to build our asset in Champaign, Illinois, that was the first of its kind, right? 30 stories tall, uh, pedestrian to campus, and offering something to the market that never existed before. Fast forward 13 years, and the student housing market has completely changed the way that it worked after CA's pioneering into the space and is now an institutional asset class. During that time period, CA was primarily in the development business. Uh, we would go out, we would find land, we would figure out what we could potentially build on that land and we would be able to bring it to market. Um, and we had a successful run and a successful track record doing that. As the market has expanded and become more institutional, CA has expanded along with it. And our five-year growth plan uh, is tremendous. So. Uh, we'll break it down into chunks, but I'll start with the first and foremost piece is what about the real estate itself? Our growth in the real estate is really to expand beyond just development. We want to continue to do that. We want to continue to build on our core capabilities, which is bringing six to eight assets to market every year. But we also now want to start acquiring assets and really building scale in the space. So if we can deliver eight assets a year and then potentially be acquiring another five to eight assets a year, uh, we really have a chance to expand our presence in the market. And just as a little bit, a tidbit, uh, this year alone in 2020, I'm excited to announce that we successfully brought nine assets to market on time, representing 4,000 beds. 
That's awesome. Congratulations, Michael. And as you, you talk about, you know, where the firm was and where we're going, right? A lot of this, uh, you know, you mentioned the University of Illinois, right? That's where the firm really got its starts and its roots coming from the student housing space. Where are you focused on now across the country? What universities and, and how do you look at the differences between development and acquisitions in certain markets? Yeah, it's a great question. So for those of us that know where CA is, we actually have 39 assets in operation today across 35 markets. So we really are, have grown from what maybe was the University of Illinois, really a Midwest institution into one that is of national scale. Uh, as we continue to look about how to expand in that market, we really have a couple of things that we look at. One is it has to be a tier one university, right? Top of its class. We're really talking the top 50 to 75, maybe 100 universities in the, in the country. Uh, there has to be 15,000 plus or more enrollment at that university. We want to make sure that there's enough supply and demand in the marketplace that development makes sense. And we think about where a lot of the growth is happening in the U.S. Uh, Midwest is always on our radar. You know, a lot of us are Big Ten guys here and we always have a feel for what's going on. But a lot of the growth that's happening is really going to be uh, along the coast, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, California, down through Texas, and then across the southern states into Florida, Mississippi, and those really SEC states. Uh, so I'd say that's where a lot of our search is going for potential land opportunities or even acquisitions. That's great. So it sounds like just focusing on the smile states. And as an SEC guy myself, I, I thank you for that. <laughs> we all love a smile. So has the market strategy changed at all over time, or has that always been CA's focus? The market strategy has actually been fairly consistent, and I give kudos to the guys that have been here for a long time because they saw the opportunity that existed before many others. Uh, I think as we've gone, we realize that there's different nuances within the markets that we can do, but it's still the focus is to get into those top 40, 50, maybe 75 universities uh, and really get into pedestrian to campus locations. And I think that's what's critical more so than anything else. When you're putting the time into find a, a potential land site and be able to develop up from the ground up, uh, be it in that nightlife retail corridor close to campus, letting kids be able to wake up out of bed, roll out of bed and walk to school is really the, the number one differentiator in the market today. And that's what kids are looking for. And that's what's really helped differentiate us. We're able to go in, we're able to get the best sites in the country. We can offer kids a different way of living than they've had in the past. Uh, and they're willing to, to pay more than what the average price is in the market for that. Michael, you mentioned tier one universities. When you're looking at a university outside of being a tier one and maybe a further explanation of what tier one is, but what characteristics of a university are you really looking at before you even go trying to find the dirt? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that you jump into is obviously just the size of the university. So we did mention that how big the university is, and that's just a simple supply and demand metric. But the second thing is when we say tier one, we want to make sure that the university itself is stable and has a good track record of growth in the past and a good forward-looking growth promise in the future. Because again, it's all going to be based about if we build something, we're building it for generations to live there, not just for the next one or two years. So you want to make sure that there are going to be a number of kids that are coming in. Uh, from the institution itself side, we're looking at institutions that are not 100% reliant on tuition. Because as supply moves up and down, or basically enrollment moves up and down, if you're 100% reliant on tuition, then that could be a big red flag for us. Instead, we're looking at uh, really, research institutions are great, but how are people making money? Tuition, it could be research, it could be um, you know, what they're coming in from, revenue from their sporting programs and anything that goes along with it. But you want a diverse 
uh, revenue base for the institution itself. And like, obviously the enrollment trends over time. So how are they growing, right? Are we seeing three, four, 5% growth rate in those, uh, in those schools, which means that they are able to take on more supply into the marketplace. I love it. So underwriting the university before you even get to underwriting the actual deal itself. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about the, the markets that we're working in, but what about the actual products? How has, has that changed over time in terms of what, what are we actually delivering in these markets and um, what do we prioritize? Yeah, the number one thing is before CA came around, what college kids, including myself, and I'm venture to guess you guys, although you're much long, younger than me, um, is, you know, is houses or shadow, what we call shadow supply, multifamily apartments that have been around since the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The number one thing that CA is bringing to market is that slipper distance, as you mentioned, Meg, but being close to campus, but doing it in a different format. We're typically building, you know, four, five, six-story buildings, in some cases, high rises that'll go up to 30 stories. So we get, you know, in that baseline there, and it's an apartment-style complex where we're offering uh, high-end design, top technology options, what we would call bed bath parity, uh, but an ability for you to have your own bedroom, your own bathroom. There's life safety security. That's one of the things that we talk about all the time, ensuring that people feel um, safe when they're going into their building. Um, and the amenity space, I think, has always been a forefront of student living, but we're, we're offering more than just the living experience in your room but places to live within the building, right? Um, what we've seen over time is that's probably one of the things that's shifted the most. And I think as we move into a more technology-focused area, that's going to be one of the areas we continue to invest in. So what do I mean by that? Uh, in the past, it's do you have a tanning bed uh, or do you have a pool, which is always great. Uh, but now what we're seeing, especially as you know, millennials move out and Generation Z moves in, is what kids really want is they want ample study space. Uh, they want to be able to have multiple different ways to do that. Can I do it in a group setting? Can I do it uh, by myself? They want to be able to utilize technology differently than they ever have before. The ability to even simply reserve rooms or, or take a spot and you know it, it's your time in there that you can use a space, whether that be a movie theater room or whether that be one of those study spaces. Uh, and then also finding ways to automate things within the unit itself. So we're always looking to innovate. We're always looking to bring new to the market and bring something that's different from everybody else, but really differentiate ourselves from the rest of the traditional options that you might have as a student. So you talked a lot about the, the physical spaces that we're providing, but there's also an operational point of that, you know, as you mentioned, uh, being able to reserve spaces and stuff and CA manages its own assets. How, how do you approach that and making sure that um, the needs and preferences of these students are being met through our, our on-site staff? This has been one of the areas that CA has really invested in over time is our property management capabilities. Uh, beforehand, especially when we were in the more of the development phase, it was build it, get it full, and most likely we were going to be selling it. Now our focus is once you see how hard it is to get into these markets, we, we really don't want to sell all of our assets. We would like to maintain these assets and hold these assets. We've invested a lot in the operations of our buildings. Um, so that includes on-site, making sure that people know who our property management team is. It includes adding uh, digital marketing expertise to our platform, which has really been over the last couple of years. But today, people sign leases online. like They don't even have to come into the building. We can do virtual tours with them. We can be on the phone. Uh, if you're a prospective resident, we've introduced something called Rent Grata, where you can actually converse with another resident in the building to find out what it's like to be living there. 
Um, I did mention the operations within the building itself, but this is all a, a heavy lift. And we've got a big team of people back at the corporate office that are constantly scouring the marketplace and testing out new technologies and what's coming into the market so that we can implement these and put them into our buildings. And we're always thinking consumer facing. How is this going to make the resident experience better at the end of the day? Because our number one goal, if you think about it, we need to identify who our target consumers are that are going to want to live at the buildings that we're bringing to market. The second thing is, is we got to get them into the door. So how can we speak with them? How can we market to them? How can we use social media in the right ways? And once we get them in, we want to make sure that they'll sign with us and stay with us. And so all of these things, that drives all the mentality that we do around operations. But it's really about that resident experience once they're in the door. So you just talked about the, um, you know, some of the virtual leasing and and things like that, and just the social media engagement and the importance of that around millennials and, and Gen Z. Um, obviously, virtual has been a huge word this year with with COVID, and so I thought it was super interesting that CA, you know, was already doing a lot of those things. Um, how how did the operational platform for our student um, business really get affected by COVID? Yeah, I was waiting for when you were going to bring COVID up. So I'm glad that we jumped in there. Um, the C word. The C word. I know. Don't talk about it, right? 2020. Uh, luckily for us, a lot of the things that we'd been prioritizing that I just talked about before, especially the shift to digital, um, came at exactly the right time for an unfortunate situation like COVID. This happened very quickly. And if you remember, for the, the student market specifically in the university market, they waited until kids went away on spring break. And then all of a sudden, when people were gone on spring break, uh, the world came crashing down or to a halt in the student space, meaning that the universities closed down. They switched everything to online. And a lot of kids they said, hey, it's time to go home. From an operations perspective for us, we had to quickly adapt to what this meant and really supercharge a lot of the initiatives we already had underway anyway. The first one was, how do we talk to our current residents and to our prospective rental residents uh, in the future if we can't have anybody come into our buildings and most people are not on campus anymore? So this is where the digital experience that we've been investing in really came into play. So we had rolled out half of our um, websites that included virtual touring packages and people can see things online view and go through and see what a, a, a bedroom or a unit look like. So we finished the rest of those that we could do that. Uh, we implemented the virtual touring so that you could get on into, through your phone, take a tour of the building with one of our uh, people that worked in the offices there. We had the social media platforms up and running. So all of that was taking place and really at the right time because it allowed CA to stay out in front of this. And I think, honestly, we executed uh, better than others did in the industry because we were already at that step in the process. From an operations perspective, you know, we didn't empty out, even though you hear from the university's perspective, that dorms shut down and they sent everybody home and campus was empty. That wasn't really the case, right? Yes, we saw a decrease in occupancy where a lot of kids were on spring break. They went home to live with their parents for a bit. But I think our at our lowest point, we were still 30% occupied in the buildings. And we actually saw some people in the market that got kicked out of their dorm rooms came to us and asked for space. So we actually saw our occupancy go down to 30 and then start to increase with new leases that were signed during COVID. And then what you saw is the trickle down effect of students coming back into the uh, apartment life around May, because, you know, if you're living with mom and dad for a certain period of time, you're ready to get out of there and you want to go back to school. Um, and from our operations perspective, we also had to adapt and we had what we called AB teams. And so we made sure that we were keeping our 
employees safe. And so if we have four people at a property, just for instance, we would have two of them go in for a week and the other two would work from home and be able to answer questions. And then we would shift. And this would allow for basically a quarantine process that could take place for us should anybody ever get any ever get COVID. Uh, but happy to say, like, while all this was happening, our COVID count was very low. Uh, and we actually got a lot of thank yous for residents for our, all that we were doing for them. Michael, first of all, that's impressive. But second of all, congratulations to yourself and to your team. You know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you guys also delivered nine new assets in this for this new upcoming school year. Not even to talk about your past operations, but how, how was it like launching nine new assets in a COVID-like environment? Yeah, we've been busy. Uh, and we might call that the perfect storm. Uh, the reality is, as we've perfected our way of bringing assets to market, really through the development phase, we've realized that anything can happen. Now, you're not predicting a COVID-like pandemic to happen, uh, but we do realize that when we're bringing to market assets that are going to be for a, a, a new academic year, we aim to bring it every June now, basically. End of June, we want to be done. This year was unprecedented in what we had to deal with with COVID. Um, but because we build in that buffer and because we have great relationship with our GCs and our subs, uh, we were able to have some of the bandwidth and the flexibility in there to withstand that and actually deliver on time. So first of all, that's great news and kudos to the development team that we have here. We have a great team and honestly, our partners that we're working with have been fantastic. Uh, some of the crazy challenges though, just so you guys are aware, we, do, we are in states, we are developing states that had different reactions to COVID than others. Uh, Penn State will be the one that I'll talk about just that comes top to my top of mind. They actually took the extreme step of shutting down everything in the state of Pennsylvania. This means that we literally could not get on site. Our site was shut down for probably 40 to 50 days. We lost six weeks of work. And that's at a time period where we know we need to deliver. At the same time, you saw a lot of schools were pulling up their start dates because they're thinking about how to react. They're like, man, it's not going to work to send kids home at Thanksgiving and have them come back for Christmas. Let's just start school early, get it done by Thanksgiving and shorten the semester. So we're dealing with sites shut down plus early starts, putting extra pressure on our team. Uh, but because we had that buffer, because we have great partnerships, we were able to, to get through that. We made up the time and we were able to deliver nine assets on time, as I mentioned earlier, which is uh Beyond perfect storm. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Well, I think the most interesting aspect of this uh, horrible game of Tetris was the move-ins. I mean, moving some of our assets have, you know, five, six, seven hundred students, and and we were moving in at a time where social distancing and and just separation and cleanliness is is at an all-time high. How did we navigate that? Very carefully. <laughs> the guys were really good normally, <laughs> normally we would do a move in over a one or two day period uh, but what we did very thoughtfully this time around is we actually spread out the move in over a couple of days we communicated with all the residents and we actually gave them time slots right and so let's say you get 10 15 20 minutes whatever it might be that's your slot to use the elevator to come in and everybody else has really got to wait their turn now you're asking college kids and their parents who are really excited for these new developments or really any of our assets to move into. It's, it's a difficult operation to do, uh, but I think the proactive nature, communicating with the residents and coming up with a plan ahead of time allowed us to uh, move in well. Uh, and thank goodness we, we heard no horror stories coming out of this. I think for the most part, we actually got a lot of thank yous from parents and from kids for making it such a seamless um, task for them to get into our buildings. It's a huge lift. 
Um, thinking back to, you know, what we've seen in, in March, which was the full blown, you know, it was kind of the, the flip of the switch, right? Everybody went remote at the same time. And, and um, it was really a, everyone was holding their breath. We didn't know what was going to happen in terms of performance of some of these assets. Um, and I know CA has had a lot of success stories over the past couple months, correct? Yeah, no, thanks for bringing it up. We've been talking about the operations side, but I think even more su- impressive is how the team has performed and how the assets have leased up. So I mentioned when it first happened, that light switch that you're talking about in March, uh, that had a similar effect on leasing. I mean, if we look back at where we were in, at the end of February, we were actually on track for probably one of our best leasing years that we've ever had. And we were tracking 4% above where we were at that time and probably uh, 2 or 3% ahead of the market. We did see a bit of a slowdown in terms of students' willingness to sign a lease. They didn't know what was going to happen. We were still signing here and there, but it did slow slow down a little bit. So uh, what really triggered is once you saw back May or June and the universities had time to digest and they started saying, you know what, we are going to be coming back to market. We are going to be open uh, for kids to move in. It was like a light switch the other way. The pent-up demand, I mentioned that in May, even before the school year was ending, we had people that still wanted to be on campus and still live on campus. By the time you get to school to say, hey, school's going to be open in the fall, the pent-up demand came flooding back. Kids did not want to be at home anymore. I'm sure they loved their parents, but they were ready to move out, and their parents wanted to turn their bedrooms into you know pool tables and, and uh, poker rooms or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but it was time to go back to school. And we thought, I mean, I'll take Washington State just as an example of, of how the market played out. Washington State was one of the first schools to move completely online. And they were one of the last schools to announce that they were going to be open in the fall. When they went completely online, we were probably 50% leased, and that was in that March time period. And then they opened up school again and made the announcement to kids that they would be coming back to campus at the end of June, early July. And we went from 50% because we hadn't leased at all during that period to 95% a matter of four weeks, I believe. And so that shows the type of track record that we have. Now, in terms of total portfolios, I apologize. I know that's where you started. We have actually ended the year in our portfolio 91% leased across the whole portfolio. And in our same store portfolio, we're actually 94% leased, uh, excluding just a couple of urban assets um, that were slightly below that. But overall, a tremendous lease up year, 4% ahead of where we were last year and actually 8% ahead of the rest of the market. What about on the collection side? Has there been any you know, big difference um, year over year? You know, this is one of the things that if you're reading the headlines for student housing, you would have gotten spooked about, especially comparing it to, say, multifamily. Uh, but no, our rent collections have been fantastic. We've actually averaged 98% rent collections since COVID started, so since back to March. And we're talking in a typical year, 99%. So maybe there's 1% difference between uh, what we would normally be seeing. And actually, now that we've started the new academic year already, and we have kids coming back to school on campus, we're at that 98 99% rent collections again. Wow. So where are, you know, I'm looking at a Wall Street Journal headline, COVID-19 outbreak spells trouble for student housing owners. So, so where is this misconception coming from? Like anything, when you look at a broad market, I think there's just a misunderstanding. If you look at the the generalizations of what's happening versus, say, uh, going into the nuances of, of where CA plays, for instance, uh, the broader market, if you include on campus, right? Some people do have investments in the on campus space when you're talking about four year universities. There were some uh, 
issues. You know, they closed those in the past and sent all the kids home. There's also de-densification going on. I think also if you think about the broader market, there's over 5,000 universities in the United States. Not all 5,000 of those universities are going to have the same strategy or going to fare the same way in a post-COVID environment as they did in the pre-COVID environment. Uh, a number of those schools are catering more so to a local uh, resident who's going to school. Some of them are going to be private universities or to your, to your um, vocational schools. And those, the needs that people have for those are going to be very different. On the flip side, you talk about where we were when we play. We're at the top 100, the top 50, top 75 universities in the country. Those universities are faring quite well. Uh, and as much as the education, the experience that kids are getting when they're on campus really matters. So when you think about where we play in the top, uh, those top 50 to top 75 versus, say, the tail end of the 5,000, it's going to be a completely different result. We have kids that want to come back to school. I think the actual universities are going to be faring quite well coming out of COVID, right? Their enrollment has stayed at where it was and is actually growing. And I think this is an opportunity for them if they execute correctly, it's going to be a boon. And they're going to be the ones that win, if you want to say win in higher education, but they're going to be the ones that win in this whole space because they're probably going to be expand their enrollment base without having to invest more into infrastructure because they can do a blend of online and in-person learning. This makes me actually, the funny thing, it makes me more excited about the future of student living at these universities than I ever have been before because I think the demand requirements of what's going to be needed in an off-campus sense, right? If we've learned that dorms, as we've mentioned, are are almost obsolete because they have too many kids living in a room or sharing bathrooms. They're going to have to start de-densifying and sending kids out to the market. If you can add on online learning to in-person learning without having to increase classroom space, you can bring more kids to campus, which is where they want to be and paying for that experience. And all of this creates more demand for off-campus living. So by digging into the details and understanding exactly how the market plays out, we can see opportunities that didn't exist before. And we are more bullish on the space than we have been in years. You look at like a Purdue University that had their record high of uh, freshman class this year um, and a lot of schools reporting, you know, um, admissions and and uh, enrollment really strong this year, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and I think they're just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Purdue with Mitch Daniels at the helm is one of the most proactive universities that are out there, but I think you're going to see a lot of people following their leads. The other ones that people point to on the flip side is, say, the uh, the Cal system over in, or I guess really the Cal State system in California. And they say, you know, they've gone on all, all online and they've seen enrollment drop in terms of being on campus. But the reality is they've even brought some people back to school. And most of those are more commuter local folks that can do their learning online. And again, at home. When you're talking about that type of university, I think in a, a, a property in a university like that where the option is to stay at home, it might suffer. But we're not in those university markets. Um, and really, the experience isn't as important to people that are going to those universities as is the education and just making sure that you get your degree because they're typically training for something else, a career change or entering into a very specific field. Um, so there is quite the difference when you think about what Purdue's doing or what you know any of the Big Ten Power Five schools are doing, for instance, as compared to the rest of the market. So a global health pandemic and nine new assets. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. That's the story, right? We're going to do more. It was a it was a affirmation of our investment strategy and, and market strategy. Absolutely, I think that's one hundred percent correct. I think student housing after the financial crisis in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you heard the word recession resilient thrown around. 
I don't want to say we're pandemic resilient. I don't, I don't want to pandemic proof. Uh, we never saw this coming, but I think yet again, student housing is showing itself to the, to the world that uh, it is very resilient. But what the offering is and what the experience is that students are getting by being on campus is proven to last. Uh, and I expect that it will continue to be so going forward. So yes, in terms of our strategy, double down. Uh, we want to continue developing. And actually, the opportunities that we're seeing to develop are only increasing as a result of COVID. Uh, we want to double down in terms of scaling up via acquisitions, and we're investing a lot in our teams and in our people uh, to bring a better product to market, both in terms of the, the real estate itself, but also the service that we're giving to residents. Let's move into the capital market side of things. What is your team seeing right now from our capital partners, and, and really, what are the opportunities you guys are taking advantage of? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, and actually, the capital markets, similar to everything else, are starting to wake up and come back to life a little bit. And what I mean by that is just like uh, the universities themselves when COVID hit and really the rest of the market, uh, the capital markets slowed down a bit as well. Um, debt put pause in a moment. They wanted to see what was happening. Uh, the investors themselves hit pause. They wanted to see what this meant. Uh, but now that we've come back and schools are open and people are back on campus and they see the leasing results and the collections results that we talked about earlier, uh, capital is coming back to a market in a big way. As a, an example of this, we have four closings scheduled to get done for the rest of this year. We've actually gotten two of them done uh, just recently. We closed property in Reno, Nevada, and we closed on uh, land and a property in Gainesville, Florida. We have two others ready to go. We have one that we're looking to get closed uh, very shortly here in Oregon and another one at the University of Washington that we uh, plan to complete before Thanksgiving. So we've been busy on that front as well. So you said two deals have closed, but um, if you work here at CA, you know about the deal gong. Um, I heard the gong three times in the past few weeks, I believe. What was the third one? Very observant of you. Um, it's hard to miss. It's pretty loud. <laughs> My ears one, are still ringing. Yeah. <laughs> the number one transaction uh, was Quadril, who is actually our largest investor in real estate, has actually just taken a stake in CA student living as an entity as well. This is huge for CA, uh, for student living. This is a confirmation of everything that we've been talking about and the strategy that we have employed. And honestly, given that they're our biggest partner in the real estate side, as well as an LP, uh, this is a confirmation on what they're seeing as our results in the real estate during this time period. Uh, this is not something that came overnight. This is something we've been working on for probably a year with Quadreal in, in discussion. So it was pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, our response. Uh, and again, it's very exciting for CA. Uh, I'm happy for, for Tom Scott, obviously. I'm happy for the people that work here. And this is really going to allow us to execute on the strategy that we discussed going forward and, and really expand our presence in the market. Well, Michael, that's fantastic. And obviously having Quadreal on board is going to really help take you guys to the next level and, and continue the great work that your team is already doing. You know, as we think about that and moving forward and the opportunities, you know, in the real estate business, opportunities don't stop crossing your desk. What are you seeing right now as it relates to these opportunities in terms of costs to us? You know, whether we're seeing any changes in land costs, construction costs, what are you seeing on that side of the table? Yeah, actually, I think this is one of the things that continue to get Quad excited when they uh, decided to invest in the company as well. But from a acquisition perspective, what we're seeing due to COVID is opportunities that had not presented themselves for a long time or ones that we may not have acted on. And what do I mean by that? Uh, land is probably the scarcest resource that we have when it comes to 
the de- new development acquisitions. And pre-COVID, the run-up from the financial crisis to where we were, land had gotten very expensive. And people were bidding on land and, and coming in that really weren't even student developers. And it just driving it up past where we would feel comfortable. So in the past, we've unfortunately had to pass on good opportunities that we thought were out there uh, because the land was too, too much and we wouldn't be able to make it work. What's happening now is those things didn't necessarily close and they're coming back to market at more reasonable prices or we're seeing new opportunities come up uh, because people need to get out of their positions in those markets. So exciting from a standpoint of the best of the best pedestrian to campus locations and universities that we really want to be in that have been high barriers to entry before are now coming available for folks like us who have the financial capabilities and the operational capabilities to actually execute against those. So that's number one. The second thing is on the cost side, Typically, when you have any kind of recessionary activity that may result like what's going to be happening is happening from the pandemic, you're eventually going to see costs decrease. And we're starting to see some of that coming to market right now. So in general, at a high level, we're probably seeing 3 to 5% cost decreases from where we were in the past. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that these guys need pipeline too. The GCs want to stay busy and want to keep their people busy. So if you're able to come in and work with them and give and know they know that there's a deal there, there's surety there, and they know that you're going to be able to give them work. Then right now they're able to to work with us. The commodity markets, you know, the pricing is still fluctuating up and down, so we're seeing different reactions there. But overall, at a high level, say three to five percent on the cost side. So if you take that with the land opportunities and the cost opportunities becoming more beneficial for us to develop into the space. The last thing I would say, because that's on the land acquisition side, but also as we think about acquiring new assets. Uh, we are seeing some opportunities start to present. Capital markets themselves, from this standpoint, it's been a little bit more quiet in the past. Nobody was really bringing anything to market before. But now that we're back in and, and some of the others, if assets have leased up, we're seeing some things start to hit the market. We're getting some exciting opportunities that we're underwriting right now. And those could be anything from you know stabilized assets to, again, assets that maybe have a little hair on them. Uh, but we think that with our expertise, we can really help turn around. You know, you said something that I think really stuck out to me here, and, and it might not seem like a very large number as we just kind of have the conversation and throw it around, but three to 5% on actual construction costs and the hard costs that are going into these projects. That's a lot when you're looking at a $200 million deal, is it not? Oh, no, it's huge. It, it will certainly allow us to act on opportunities that we weren't before. And again, a lot of that comes with surety though. You know, when you're bidding these things out, uh, it's really about where are you at in your process and how far out in the future are you looking here? Um, but no, it's huge. And I think, again, being of scale that CA is and having the partnerships that we do in the market allows us to tap into some opportunities like that that exist that maybe others can't. I think we have to change some things up here on the podcast. So obviously this is a, a learning experience for Meg and I as we start this, but in our very first podcast, we asked the final question is, where do you see yourself and your team 18 months from now? The unfortunate thing is, I don't think I can ask you that question after what you and your team have done in just nine months alone in the middle of a pandemic. So we broke I, our uh, tradition already. You know, <laughs> the best time to do it. So Michael, as it relates to CA and the student living team, where do you see your team and yourself five years from now? Well, as you can tell, and you mentioned, we like to stay extremely busy and set very ambitious goals for ourselves. I think the place I'd start is probably, we actually have a five-year plan, and our goal for that five-year plan, we're calling it the three-by-five plan. So our goal is to triple where we are today five years from now. So it's an ambitious goal, uh, but based on everything I'm seeing so far, 
based on great partnerships like Quadreal coming into the company. And I know the dedication and the, the quality team that we have, I absolutely think it's achievable. Uh, and that's where I want us to get to in five years. That's going to be through development. That's going to be through acquisitions. That's going to be through scaling up our property management company and taking on third-party management contracts. Uh, but we can actually absolutely do it. Buckle up. I can see the smile on your face. You're all buzzed up to do it. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Um, much we're going to talk about student today. And I think we're all riled up for the future of student. It's been fun. I hope you guys have me back. 